Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We're back for a week. Just a week. Just a week, and then we're going to be gone again because we're doing a vacation this time. Last time, last week, you had a vacation. I need lots of vacation. Without, without me, you had a vacation. And then next week, we both have a vacation. Yes. I'm allowed to apparently have a vacation. It was in the contract, just because you dismissed the contract. But it was in the contract. I should suggest that the Concord Agreement has not been signed. It was in the contracts. No. Those contracts were not signed and thus have expired. All vacations Uh will now require a unanimous vote of all parties. Except the race director has overruled that and said that it is null and void. And um, yeah, I, I, I get a vacation next week. Unfortunately, it's when we're having a race. The Grand Prix de Mata in Italy. Your favorite. Emilia Romana Grand Prix. It's your doing favorite. it that way again. I like that F1 is going to Imola. Mm-hmm. Come up with a better name. <laughs> Come well, up with a better name. Well, anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, yes, fair warning. This is your one. This is probably the only podcast for the month of April we are doing. Yeah, we'll work out that way. That's yeah. weird. We'll be back in May. We, we will be back. We promise. Maybe. We'll be back. I don't know. But anyway, we have stuff to talk about because, and, and we're not even going to talk about all the stuff that happened, but we do have stuff to talk about. One of the things that I have noticed in the last, oh, two weeks, and, and you know, it's been this on again, off again thing around Audi and Porsche and the VW group and will they get involved and will they not get involved? And it's worse than Sam decision. and Diane and Shears. Um, maybe, but not worse, worse than whether or not, um, Red Bull was going to get back with Renault. Do you remember all of that? Yeah, but yeah, I think this is much more Sam and Diane. Cause, Cause you compared it to the Sam and Diane relationship back then when we were going through it there of, were they going to have their breakup or not? Well, there was the whole, well, they won't pay. <clears throat> I get it. But this is even more Sam and Diane. So what we had been hearing in the fall was that it would be Audi or Porsche, but not both of them. But they still hadn't decided. They were, it was looking good, but they hadn't made a decision. So where we are now, the rumors have really picked up that Audi was making a play for McLaren. Mm-hmm. specifically that they they want to own the team. And that's been a hang-up point because it doesn't sound like really McLaren wants to release control to Audi. And McLaren may or may not actually be for sale. There's that too. It, it, it kind of sounds like it's one of these, but we have all this money, won't you take our money? And McLaren going, not like that, we're not. We'd like to take your money, but we don't really care for all the terms in your contract. Yeah, like the fact that we wouldn't be McLaren anymore. That's going to be a problem. Uh, so we don't know where things are happening with that. It does sound like uh, Porsche is making a move towards Red Bull, and that may firm up at some point. Um, we've also confirmation of all things, from Aston Martin that they have been talking to Audi. Interesting. And more specifically, they've been saying that, well, we've been speaking around to uh, at other options for our engine manufacturer, including Audi. Interesting. Yeah, especially given we know that Lawrence is good buddies with Toto. Mm -hmm. And... He's been pushing, you know, since the days that Lance was driving for Williams, he's been pushing for teams to be essentially a junior team to Mercedes. So to to hear that he might be considering striking out on his own is kind of interesting. I mean, 
I, I could see having a desire for possibly Audi engines in the road cars, but they get bespoke AMG hand-built engines for the Astons. I don't know. I know. I don't know. And it's confirmation he's having a conversation. Conversations aren't contracts. Mm-hmm. So this week, actually it was last week, we the rumors had gotten to the point that they released a statement as to where things stand. Okay. So what the VW group has said is we have not yet made a decision as we are currently in the final evaluation phase. At this point, the new regulations for 2026 and subsequent years are not yet available. These will s- set out far-reaching changes to make the sport more sustainable, which is a prerequisite for Audi's possible entry. Audi Sport is discussing these matters directly with the FIA, and their decision will be announced as soon as it had been made. Um, like I said, it looks almost certain that Porsche will... Uh, do something with Red Bull in 2026 and make use of the team's new powertrains division to fast-track its arrival in in Formula One. The big thing that that they're interested in, they want to make sure is going to be what will attract them into the sport in 2026 is dropping the MGUH. We know the teams don't like the MGUH as it is. Mm -hmm. But that seems to be the big thing. Okay. So, probably. Maybe. But I think the rumors of it's happening in the next week, probably not accurate at this point. Mm, Probably not. All right. So, let's go all the way back to Australia. And you missed missed the the pre-race buildup and all the things because you were out of town. Right. Um, but you did watch the race, and it was for Australia. It was a pretty good race. It was a very good race. Um, I think the changes to the track were good. I think some of the changes to the track were good. <clears throat> I also have to say, I think it not being the first race of the season, you got to see more racing and less breaking down. Because keep in mind, historically, with it being the first race of the season, you saw a lot of the early days of unreliability. You know, you could guarantee so many cars wouldn't finish because of un- just general unreliability of those you first races. could, but remember, we had the worst attrition in Saudi Arabia, not in Bahrain. True. True. But, I don't know. I kind of liked it being mixed up a little bit. Now, it was a no-good, rotten, horrible weekend for Sebastian Vettel and Aston Martin as a whole. It really was. Coming off of COVID, he was not doing great. And it it started off in free practice one. Okay. So Sebastian Vettel, um, his car broke down. He was stranded on the side of the track at turn 10. Um, car lost power. Um, he hung out with the marshal till the session ended. And got permission from the marshal once the session had ended to hop on the marshal scooter and ride it back to the pits. So there's all kinds of video. There's all kinds of... It's been a meme for the last now two weeks of Sebastian Vettel on the track on a scooter waving to the crowd and, and his hands up in the air and all that. And, you know, they've been placing him in all kinds of things like, oh, at the front of the pack for for the race and... On the and scooter. It, on the scooter um, in the middle of a MotoGP race on the scooter. Um, uh, the boy shared one where he was actually delivering Uber Eats. Yeah, th- there was that one. That, that, I mean, there, there's quite a few of Seb on the scooter. Unf- as hysterical as that has been, the stewards didn't find it nearly as funny. Seb actually got fined a 5,000 euro fine for entering the track without permission. But the marshal gave him permission. So what happened? Seb, yes, he asked for permission from the marshal. And Seb kind of also assumed that the marshal was going to hop on the scooter with him. However, 
within 10 minutes after the end of a session, the track is still closed. Nobody can enter the track without specific permission from race control. The marshal didn't have authority to give Seb approval to enter the track in that period of time. Apparently, or at least the marshal claims that when Seb hopped on the scooter and left, he was talking to race control. But Seb thought his approval of, hey, can I use the scooter to head back was, yeah, you can hop on the track and go. So there was a miscommunication and that should cost him 5,000 euros? 5,000 euros and uh, Seb's a little ticked by it. I'd be a little ticked. Yeah. Sounds like there was a miscommunication, but not, nobody was in jeopardy. Nobody was, you know, hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Seb calls it a joke. Yeah. Everybody's enjoying it, though. But that's not all the stuff that the FIA was doing this weekend. Oh, what were they doing? So the FIA, and and you recall, we've we've talked about this before in previous years. Um, Luca Degrassi and other Formula E drivers getting in trouble with Formula E and the stewards in Formula E for wearing the wrong underwear. Mm-hmm. Remember, that has to be flame resistant and fireproof and all that stuff. And they got in a lot of trouble for it. Well, it seems that um, the new race directors have decided that they're going to enforce the same clamp down on appropriate undergarments in Formula One. Are they checking? They might actually be, which apparently has, it was, from the reports that we're hearing, it was a, quote, entertaining driver's meeting on Friday night before the race, (laughs) as this was disclosed, that they must be wearing the proper underwear. And I get it. I get the reason for it. And as much, and and every time we we bring it up, we, we get the reason for it. As much as we joke about the fact that they're checking the driver's underwear, it's a serious reason. But yeah, it, it, we, we got to make fun of them for it. Well, yeah. Do you remember one of the various classic uh, Formula One movies that we have watched? And his name escapes me, but he's the driver that won the world championship uh, posthumously. Jakim Rint. Jakim Rint. He did a little piece about all the stuff they have to wear underneath their race suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time we, and that was during a period that they had also clamped down because they were changing yeah. some of the undergarment rules under their race suit. And he did that. And it just, it struck me as um, interesting. Yeah. But that's not the only clampdown that's happening. And this is something that honestly, it doesn't surprise me because I've been wondering for years how the drivers, A, get away with it, and B, how it's comfortable. But the FIA issued a directive reminding drivers that it is against the regulations for them to wear jewelry of any kind while in the car. Again, this is for safety reasons. You know, this idea that, one, if you're involved in fire, in a fire, metal gets really hot and can negate some of the other flame retardant properties. But one of the things that I've always wondered, particularly when it comes to Lewis Hamilton and his various piercings that he has, and what we know for a fact, and and yes, he's got some on his chest as well, but we know for a fact, we see it every race weekend, he's got earrings Mm -hmm. and studs that he wears in his ears. And I've always wondered, you know, those helmets are really tight. The padding is dense. The the and we hear about the the pressures on your neck and the g forces, and I can't help but when wonder how that's going to be comfortable to have those studs to have that jewelry pressing against you, possibly pretty hard for a couple of hours. So I've always wondered about that. However, they're not supposed to be wearing jewelry at all. Not just from a comfort perspective, but there's also concern that, you know, if they need to remove garments, they need to remove helmets in in an emergency, 
that the jewelry can snag on it and cause even greater injuries and cause other problems or make it harder for them to, to provide the care that they need in an emergency situation. Okay. Lewis Hamilton has said he's not pulling his jewelry off. Well, we'll see how that goes for him. But here's the thing. Just... <clears throat> Since you do not wear earrings and True. thus and, and I don't have piercings in other locations. Thankfully. Um, <laughs> so the closest thing I can compare it to is our very own headphones that we mm-hmm. wear during podcasting, which are snug and are, you know, sound deadening and everything like that. But you notice how they have that little cuppy thing that allows your ears to not be smushed totally against your head? Yeah. So when I wear my stud earrings, I don't feel the back of the earring in the side of my head. And I remember years ago when I would ride motorcycles with friends and such, I would wear a helmet. And truthfully, not a race helmet, so probably had a little bit more give, but I'd wear earrings then too. And they just, they slide in such a way that they lay flat against the back of your head as opposed okay. to poking straight in. So I will answer that question. Um, now, if it's against the rules, it's against the rules. And I'm a rule follower by nature. So even my beloved Lewis, I would suggest that he needs to take them out. Now, here's the other piece of the puzzle. Some piercings taken out would close up in the time that they'd be out. And I think that's part of Lewis's His issue. Point. But... He should not have to get them re-pierced every time. He should not have to, but that's also where, okay, you're a race car driver and the rules say for your safety that you're not supposed to have jewelry. If that's a risk, he shouldn't have gotten the piercings. I understand, but I I, I get it. Um, I would, you know... While I could understand, you know, like I know my ears don't close up in that period of time. So I'd I'd argue that those could probably come out safely. But my other question is, is there a way that they could secure them so that should a race suit need to be cut off or something like that, that it is not a risk of pulling or tugging or something? And you should be able to do that without having to take them out. Depending, so, so here's the thing. One, we don't know exactly what some of these articles are. But if it's a ring or if it's something like that and they're cutting open a fire suit, there's no guarantee that the scissors or whatever they're using won't snag them. Which is the whole reason why they say, no, you can't do it. And there's lots of professions out there. I mean, you look at folks who work on tugboats and stuff like that. They have expressed prohibitions against if they're handling any kind of lines, you can't have anything on your hands, you can't have your watch on or anything like that. Because if that snags on a line, you're losing body parts. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of risk here of if that piercing snags it's going to do even more harm. I was just thinking that if it was on the body, you could possibly tape it down. But there's no guarantee because, again, now you've got a protrusion where there shouldn't be a protrusion. Well, I'm not going to search his body to determine whether or not he has jewelry on. That is just not my job. It is above my pay grade. And that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> but again, if the FIA is checking the underwear... Well, while they're there, they can check. Yeah. So, the other crackdown that occurred. Um, Niles Wittich, who was serving as the race director for uh, the, the Australian Grand Prix, issued updated event notes that highlighted Article 55.14 of the FIA Sporting Rules. Of course. Um, to reinforce the meaning of that article to the drivers and teams and clamp down on specific things. Now, his update that he sent said, In order to avoid the likelihood of accidents behind the safety car returns to the pits, from the point at which the lights on the safety car are turned out, 
Drivers must proceed at a pace which involves no erratic acceleration or braking, nor any maneuver which is likely to endanger other drivers or impede the restart. This was specifically directed at one 2021 world champion, Max Verstappen. You had to say it. Yes, you I had, did. You had to say it. I did, because it is specifically around tactics that he's used with some level of success. It hasn't always been successful for him. It didn't work well for him in Bahrain, and actually it worked pretty bad for him in Bahrain. But the the tactic that he has used for, what, five races now? Mm-hmm. Of, at a safety car restart, trying to hustle... I guess for lack of a better term, the driver who is actually leading the pack and drawing up alongside of them and potentially running. And and that was the one of the things that pissed Mercedes off is mm-hmm. that arguably on one of those little stunts that he pulled, he did jump ahead of Lewis, even if it was by a couple inches. And he's not supposed to do that either. All right. So basically what the drivers have been told is you can't pull alongside the car in front of you at a safety car restart. You have to stay behind their rear wing. About time. It's about time, but the best part about this crackdown, the best part. Is that the team had to radio Max to remind him. That's it. That's it. No games during the restart, Max. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So hopefully that sticks because that was a move that that it 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 never should have been allowed. No, it should have never been allowed. It should have never been excused. It was wrong. Now, once again, you know this is now the third DNF that Red Bull has had in three races. Yeah, Max has only finished one race, and we've had three. Mm-hmm. But once again, Max had a DNF through arguably no fault of his own. This was a problem with the Red Bull car. Again, it sounds like a fuel system issue. They keep running out of gas, right? No. not. It, it doesn't appear... Again, remember, Max's car caught fire. Oh, there now, some that. of that may have been hydraulics. Um, but something was obviously leaking in the car which caused the DNF this time around. Christian Horner says that this issue was completely independent of what happened at race one. Um, It was out. So if you remember race one, that was they had that vacuum that formed in the fuel bladder, which caused the the car to starve itself. It had fuel, but it starved itself of fuel. Correct. This time, Christian says the problem was outside of the fuel bladder. Okay. Okay that something else broke. He also says that this problem is completely independent from the problems that the Alpha Tauris had the week before, which was completely independent from the problems that the Alpha Tauri had the week before that. So you're telling me that there is something fundamental in the design of the Red Bull and Red Bull-esque cars that screws with the fuel. The, the, the Red Bull, not a Honda engine in specific. And... The, the Alpha Tori issues were not fuel-related that we know of. They, they were some other issue with the, not the powertrain. Honda, the not a Honda. Yeah, yeah the, the not a Honda powertrain. Um, but he says that they're all, all independent of each other. All we know is that clearly the Red Bull not a Honda powertrain is a bit fragile. Mm-hmm. I mean... It appears to have decent pace when it works. Yeah. Yes, I know. To quote Will Buxton, if you end the race in first place, you win the race. We got it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So this is going to be interesting. And, And at this point, even Max is like, yeah, we are extremely far behind, and I don't think that there's a chance. Now, I will say we are 
three races into either a 22 or 23 race season. It's still a bit early to write them off, but that's got to be really embarrassing that you are the world champion, you are behind your rival the previous year, and your rival isn't even in contention for a championship, and you're behind your rival from the previous year. Yeah. I mean, right now, it looks like Ferrari's walking away with it. But we are, and I say that, measured with we are three races in. Mm -hmm. And I know that the punditry of F1 is so quick to turn around and go, they, this person just won a race. They're, well, they're obviously going to win the championship. It, that's not the goal. Again, there. everyone was, was jumping up and down and going, Ferrari's back, Ferrari's back after race one. And I think Ferrari is looking very good. Mm-hmm. I won't say Ferrari's back. Just like I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon and everybody's jumping on a Mercedes. J- j- they, they've dominated for all these years. They've got all these resources. They're going to figure this out and they're going to be up at the front and they've got the pace and it's two races. We're going to be there. And it, I'm not going to go there either because look at Ferrari and how many years did Ferrari dominate Formula One and then, how many years was Ferrari off in the wilderness? Well, yes. I am ever hopeful that the punditry that says that Mercedes will figure it out and will be fighting for wins soon is right. I'm not willing to be on that bandwagon, but I'm sure hopeful. I have no doubt that Mercedes will figure it out. I really do. I have absolutely no doubt that they'll figure it out. I don't have confidence that they'll figure it out in time to really make much of a difference this year. But I have no doubt that they'll figure it out. Yeah, it's just, it's it's the win. It's mm-hmm. just the win. So, speaking of Mercedes, did you catch the message toward the end of that race to from Lewis back to the garage that, you know, he was really on the limit and they put him in a bad situation. He was rather upset. Yes. So he explained what was going on there. And actually, the, the team has explained even more about it. It wasn't around the race strategy. What it was was around the cooling of the car and things that were done performance-wise to, cool, to, to try and manage performance that then dictated other things that Lewis needed to do to keep the cool from keep the car from overheating. Okay. So that's where the whole on the limit thing came from and all of that. Um, you know, going back to the Mercedes will figure it out. I would caution everybody to take the performance this weekend of both Mercedes and McLaren. And and, and as much as yeah, we heard folks saying, yeah, McLaren's back, McLaren no 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 this was simply a matter of this track suited the cars better well and we know historically there are tracks that suit some cars better mm-hmm. than other tracks and that's awesome when they align and are, are good you know i'm hoping that we're seeing some improvement for all of the mercedes powered cars um it's going to be Again, it goes back to how fast do the things that they need come back out in the upgrades. Now, I do know, just as an offset, in Imola, Ferrari's already come out and said that they're a little surprised they're this far ahead, but there's no big upgrades coming for Imola for them. Yeah, and they said primarily the reason why they weren't rolling out the upgrades is because it's a sprint weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't know how a sprint's going to work in Imola, we'll see. Um... But in terms of some of the things that Mercedes is doing, did you happen to notice, and you may not have noticed, um, certainly the world feed caught it. So if you were watching closely as opposed to multitasking, at one point there was a replay that the world feed showed of the Lewis's car from the front, and there was something glowing at the bottom. It looked kind of like sparks were flying and it was possibly dragging something but we didn't hear anything about it dragging oh i thought that was aliens no what mercedes was doing and they did it just with lewis's car because they're trying to figure out what is going on here 
and try and understand the porpoising, they installed on Lewis's car for the race an optical ride height sensor. Mm. So basically, it was a small camera, and that was the light that was measuring the distance between the bottom of the car and the road throughout the race. Interesting. So that they could understand where the porpoising was happening, what was happening, what race conditions were like as they were experiencing the porpoising issue. Now, it did mean that the car was that much heavier and it was that much of a performance impact, but they're hoping that that'll maybe give them a little bit of insight as to what's causing this. Um, Lewis and, and the team has said, for the most part, Pretty much everything that they tried on the car to get a, get a handle on the porpoising in Australia didn't work. Ugh. Because they brought new floors and everything, and they keep mm-hmm. talking about that it's the floor, but... Well, it it is the floor. It's just a matter of finding if there's a design that will work with the rest of the aerodynamics mm-hmm. to prevent the porpoising. What, what was also interesting, if you watched really watched closely what was happening and compared the Ferraris and the Mercedes is the Ferraris, that porpoising was really bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could see at one point, I think it was coming out of Charles pit stop. That car, I mean, you could see the car loading and unloading. I mean, it was obvious, but yet he wasn't suffering the performance issues. What it sounds like is that the porpoising stops faster on the Ferraris than it does on the Mercedes. Yeah. But it was it was much worse than we'd seen anywhere else on the Ferraris. So, speaking of pit stops and safety cars, mm-hmm. um, Max Verstappen in particular has been complaining about the safety car. Specifically, the safety car he does not like is the Aston Martin. And why does he not like the Aston Martin safety car? Well, you know, I, I should be clear, though, that it was the Aston Martin... The Aston Martin safety car was the only Aston Martin all weekend to complete a session without any damage. <laughs> well, we were very proud yeah. of that. <laughs> um, but Max Verstappen complains that the Aston Martin safety car in particular is slow much slower than the mercedes he he says it's because the mercedes has extra arrow on it which allows it to go faster but he says um the safety car is so slow there was little grip in um on the track in australia so it was slow like a turtle um he said they were doing 140 kilometers on the back straight um with no damaged car and he didn't understand why they had to drive so slow um, he says definitely the Mercedes car is faster. And apparently several of the other drivers said that they were not huge fans of the Aston Martin safety car. And it was a bit slow, which I'm sure if you think about everything else that happened over the weekend, that was just a wonderful topper for, for Lawrence Stroll. <laughs> he must have just been loving it. Okay, both cars, they were down on performance. Their drivers got all kinds of points or penalty points. Lance just... I, I don't even know what the deal was. Lance would have been better off just not showing up. <laughs> and now the drivers are slamming the safety car on top of it, too. What? I mean, so the FIA this week came out and issued a statement in response to the criticism of the safety car. The As- <laughs> in response to the criticism of the Aston Martin safety car, to be clear. In light of recent comments regarding the pace of the FIA Formula One safety car, the FIA would like to re- reiterate that the primary function of the FIA Formula One safety car is, of course, not outright speed, but the safety of the drivers, marshals, and officials. The safety car procedures take into account multiple objectives depending upon the incident in question, including the requirement to bunch up the field, negotiate an incident recovery or debris on track in a safe manner, and adjust the pace depending on recovery activities that may be ongoing in a different part of the track. 
The speed of the safety car is therefore generally dictated by race control and not limited by the capabilities of the safety cars, which are bespoke high-performance vehicles prepared by two of the world's top manufacturers equipped to deal with changeable track conditions at all times and driven by a highly experienced and capable driver and co-driver. The impact of the speed of the safety car and the performance of the cars following is a secondary consideration as the impact is equal amongst all competitors who, as is always the case, are responsible for driving in a safe manner at all times according to the conditions of their car and the circuit. So in short, suck it, drivers. (laughs) I read that as Lawrence picked up the phone and called the FI. Uh FIA and said they're dissing my car. Make you them better stop. shut this down. Yeah, they're saying bad things about the mm-hmm. Aston Martin. Shut it down. Yeah, <laughs> they are bespoke, high-performance vehicles <laughs> driven by. Yes. Speaking of bespoke, high-performance tires, um, not tires. Pirelli has a problem. So, so many problems. Where do you begin? All these years, if, if you remember back in 2012 and 2013, and I think even into 2014, Pirelli jumping up and down going, we need tire tests. We need tire tests. We got to make sure we got tires that are properly designed and built for Formula One to meet all the needs. We need tire tests. And finally, the FIA said, all right, fine. Shut up. We'll give you the tire test. Here you go. Well, now with a 22 to 23 race calendar, F- uh, Pirelli's going, um, Guys, there's no room in the calendar for the tire test you promised us. <laughs> Do you remember that whole thing we had? You know, we talked about this. Yeah. Remember how we need a tire test? Yeah. When are we going to do a tire test? There is supposed to be 25 car days of dry and wet testing focused on development for the following season um, conducted on the current season cars as opposed to the mule cars that were used last year um the only realistic dates that they've been able to come up with that they can do it are at the european circuits where the grand grand prix are not followed immediately by a back-to-back event Mm. which gives them a really small window yeah yeah so right now they're looking at tuesdays and thursdays following imola uh red bull ring and hungaro ring uh, with te- two teams at each venue that adds up to 12 car days of running. Which is half of what they're supposed to have. Yeah. Oh, my. So we don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> Over to Haas. How are our friends at Haas? So as you recall, as, as we started the season, and Haas went and told Eurocali that they could pack sand in the Mazepins, that they could go off on their own thing and... Um, Nikita set up his foundation for picked on athletes. <laughs> no, um, I think his foundation <clears throat> is for uber wealthy athletes who are Russian citizens, athletes who feel like they're being picked on. Yeah, who are being targeted because they have too much money and too much time on their hands and are being sucked into Putin's war. I, I wouldn't go with the uber wealthy because I don't believe that. Um, folks like Daniel Kvyat had you know, they came from a lot of money, not not Mazepin level money. So I, I wouldn't go with. He the had Uber to level. come from some level of money to get. I mean, you don't. This is not an inexpensive sport. But but he got sponsorship, and some of the drivers in the junior four, uh, the the junior series, they're there because of sponsorship from Russian backers. But they, you know. But they're they're not living, you know. They didn't come into Formula One as rich kids. Um, they got sponsorship that is buying them seats and paving the way for them. But it's not because their family has tons of money, like the Mazepins. Well, Mazepin so, level money is a completely different experience. Right. So Nikita an- announced his foundation for for Russian athletes that he feels are being picked on, and. Dimitri said that they were going to fund the the foundation from the money that they were going to recover from the Haas sponsorship. And they were demanding that they get their money back since they paid in advance for the season. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they're they're getting punted before the season starts. And of course, this was before sanctions hit them and, and all of that stuff. So Haas, and, and by the way, we're talking about $13 million. Haas turned around and um, sent a letter back that said, nope, not doing it. So that wasn't bold enough. So the reason why Haas turned around and said it is because apparently there is a clause in the sponsorship agreement that says that Uricali cannot injure, bring into dispute, ridicule, or lessen the public reputation, goodwill, of favorable image of Haas. So arguably, and this is Haas's position, the Mazepin's close ties to Putin and support of Putin and the war would do all of those things to which Haas has said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Got it. But there's more. But because wait. Haas, super bold here. So apparently in the contract that they had with um, the Mazepin family, um, they were supposed to give one of Mazepin's F1 cars to Uricali and the family. Okay. Haas has refused. Not only has Haas refused, but they said, by the way, because of everything that's gone on, we think that we also suffered damage or, or would be suffering damage by having to terminate our sponsorship agreement with you. And we want reimbursement for loss of profits to the tune of 6 million euros. So not only are we not giving you the money, you need to pay us 6 million euros, then we'll give you the car. Oh my. <laughs> I think that's pretty dang bold. Interesting. Now, given that there's sanctions, could they even take 6 million euros? Well, that that's one of the things I'm kind of wondering is exactly how they're going to get another 6 million dollars, 6 million euros out of either Uricali or the Mazavin family. Yeah. I'm not sure how that would work. And by the same <coughs> token, given sanctions, I'm not entirely sure how they would get the car. Cuz that would be, yeah. Well, essentially what they would do, if my understanding is correct, is they'd hand it over to the Treasury Department. Right, and let them sort it out. Assuming, assuming that the Treasury Department, assuming that the car's in the U.S., they'd either hand it over to the U.S. Treasury Department or possibly to the British government, to, to the exchequer. And the government would hold on to the car until sanctions were lifted and the money right until sanctions were lifted but that's pretty bold not only are we not giving you your money back but you need to pay us more <laughs> even though we canceled the sponsorship deal at the start of the season i gotta give hand it to gene but you know i'll, I'll also say that i think it's pretty clear that Haas learned something from the rich energy deal. Yeah. Because, again, the terms cannot injure, bring, it, bring into dispute, ridicule, or lessen the public opinion, public reputation, goodwill, a favorable image of Haas. You could basically, every single one of those, with the exception of maybe bring into dispute, Rich did. Mm-hmm. So-, <laughs> so, obviously, their lawyer got smarter. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I also really hope, and I do hope, <clears throat> that Haas has also learned something else out of this. Because they are certainly better off having their experienced driver of KMAG than, and getting more out of that car than they ever would out of Nikita. They are. The one thing that I think is making this look a little better than it actually is and probably was better for Haas going the way that they did is that if you remember last year's car was a 2020 car Mm -hmm. that Haas didn't bother to develop they knew they were going to be at the back of the grid for the better part of last year 
and, and that, that was probably the best that they were going to hope for. You know, if anything, maybe they, they'd pick up a point or two early in the season, but once that season ramped up, they weren't developing the car. It was just going to slide backwards. So to turn around and suck up the Uricali money for that. Now, yeah, they would have been stuck with, with um, Nikita this year, and they would have been stuck with all of that. But because of the fact that they were able to then cut loose the deal and roll out a car that they developed because they saved all the resources last year to roll into this year's car, I think that's played better into Kevin's hands. And he's give, he and, was given a better car than he mm-hmm. left. I, I will grant you that. But... I also think that they're getting more feedback and more things to work with because Kevin's got some experience. I mean, the opportunity to cut loose the Mazepins when they did and separate it from everything else that was going on. Just look at timing for the season and, and team. The opportunity to cut them loose when they did and bring in Kevin was truly best case scenario for them. Oh, true, true. Hands down hands down and i mean the other thing is honestly at 13 million dollars given the amount of damage that nikita had done to the cars well yeah you gotta ask yourself if he actually was beneficial to haas at all yeah so we have like i said next week we go to italy and then i believe it's the week after that or it's two weeks after that we have the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. What I so, so there, there's been, especially about a week or two ago, a lot of hype and promotion around what the track will look like, what's being done down there, what's being built, all of that stuff. Um, cost aside, because apparently ticket costs are even more expensive than Austin. And Austin's gotten really, really expensive, even higher for Miami. Mm. Um, but the pictures that I've seen, I don't know if it'll be good racing. They say it's designed that 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 was their big thing was was to design a track that was going to bring good racing. Um, what I will say from the pictures that I've seen from the the renders and everything else. You know, we've been mocking this as a race in a parking lot. They have gone out of their way that if it was a parking lot, it's not anymore. Oh, wow. Um, they they are looking to create, and some of it's kind of hokey and cheesy, but they are looking to create a very different atmosphere for Miami, is what they say. Mm-hmm. But a very Miami atmosphere. So Miami, of, but different. Well, different from other races, kind of different. Okay. Is, is what they mean by different. Of course, now keep in mind, the, the Hard Rock Pro Robbie Miami Stadium, Marlin Stadium, whatever we want to call it this week, well, technically it's the Hard Rock Stadium, is what, 10 miles inland? Easily. So it's 10 miles inland. There is a section of the infield that will feature a pool, a section of the infield that will feature a beach with yachts. Yachts? And let me also remind you that it's 10 miles inland. And yes, there is a drainage, there is a canal that runs along the north side of the property, that is not a navigable canal. They have dug out a part of the infield. They have flooded it. They have put in a beach, and there will be yachts in there backed up to the track a la Monaco and Abu Dhabi. And this is where I go, The they wanted a different with air quotes experience but yet we have yachts backed up to the track just like abu dhabi and monaco but wait remember i mentioned that swimming pool the swimming pool will be placed alongside the track as well a la monaco okay when they said different 
<laughs> what they actually meant was copy someplace else. We're going to do these really high end expensive things and try to make people not think that they're in the middle of a parking lot because we just put a yacht in the middle of a parking lot. Again, when you look at what they've done, so apparently there's some other development that has happened compared to the last time that we were at the stadium. One of the things that was built in area that was formerly known as the parking lot lot was the Miami Dolphins training camp. Okay. Um, the the track wraps in and around the Dolphins training camp facility. Oh, okay. So that's how we've taken it away from the parking lot piece is this is now a developed area that they have dropped the track into. But they've put in this lake um, with the boats. They're using part of the Dolphins training facility for the concerts and some of the other things that are going on. Um, But, you know, you want to knock how the stick and ball sports in the U.S. have gone over the top with the luxury skybox suites and overloading with that. There is a lot of that at this track. Oh, I bet. There is a whole lot of the, not just the paddock club type suites, but there's all kinds of other private viewing suites all over this track. Wow. There's a cable car that they've put in. There is, it, it does look like they have worked to make this a permanent fixture of the facility. Again, taking it away from it originally have been part of the parking lot. Um, is it going to be a good race? I don't know. Along the same lines, I got to say, will the race actually happen? I don't know. What do you mean? Well... This past week, the residents of Miami Gardens filed another lawsuit against the race and are trying to get an injunction to block the race. Um, And there's some question as to whether or not that injunction is actually going to get granted, which means we could be looking at a last-minute cancellation. It's an awful lot of money to lose for that. Oh, yeah. I'm not hugely excited for this race. Because it's Miami and it's ballpark of a stadium, or it's what was a parking lot of a stadium. I will say from what I've seen in the videos, maybe. But wow, that's going to be huge if 11th hour lawsuit blocks the the race. Mm -hmm. That's going to be really huge. But par for the course for Miami, too. True. So there's that. Um... Formula One is still working to find a replacement for the Russian Grand Prix. They say that they are committed, still committed to a 23 race season, which, foolish. Cutter was the leading candidate for a replacement. Now, if you remember, last year was the first year we went to Cutter, and then we had a 10-year deal for them to continue to host races in the country. But they had to take a year off because they're getting the World Cup this year. And build a new circuit because it wasn't supposed to be held at Los Sale again. Right. And now it sounds like it may not be a firm commitment for Cutter to be able to take it this year. They may be sticking to the, we really do want the year off. So Formula One's looking for another options. The latest thing that it sounds like they're trying to do is two races in Singapore. That's interesting. Could be very interesting. One race would have its traditional late night Singapore start time. The other one would be a dusk sunset type race similar to what they did in Bahrain. Because they can't do daytime. It's too hot. Right. In theory. It's also kind of hot even at night there. I mean, it's still sticky hot, humid there. Yeah. But that's why they're not doing it in the daytime. Plus, it's the time shift. They don't time shift when they go to Singapore. So they do live in a backwards life but being there for two weeks that loosens it a little bit yeah and you know i've always wondered about that so okay we don't time shift for singapore but we time shift for australia 
mm-hmm. which has got just as crazy as a time difference. And there was one point where, what was it? We had Singapore followed by Malaysia, and Malaysia is like three hours away. Mm-hmm. Drive. It's the same time zone, but we time shift from Malaysia. Yeah, no. I I don't understand. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But then there was the other news that we missed this week. And I, I'm going to come out and I'm going to say, first of all, I'm going to apologize to Agro and to all our friends in Las Vegas, but I may be the only person anywhere that isn't excited for this race. And it's not... It, it's not necessarily that going to Vegas... It, it, it's that... Do we really need a third race in, in the U.S.? I mean, okay, if we kill off Miami, which... Wow, that's a lot of money they're going to lose. If we kill off Miami and we replace it in Vegas, I'd probably feel a bit differently about it. But do we really need a third race in the U.S.? Well, okay. <clears throat> you asked that question, and I I may or may not agree with you, but I'm going to give you the other argument. How many races are there in Europe? It's a good chunk of the season. Okay. So the size of Europe is not that much different than the size of the U.S. And so to have and know that their largest growth market is the U.S. market, mostly because it's been underserved for decades. Well, they haven't figured out how to break in because they're overseas so much. Right. Until Netflix (laughs) comes along, introduces the Americans to this really awesome thing um hello we knew it first we're we're hipsters that way um (laughs) but if you think about how close together and how packed i mean if you think about the european portion of the season yeah they're close together in weeks they're close together in in uh distance and there's a lot of them three races in in the u.s isn't really that weird Keep in mind, our continent, our whole continent only has three countries. And there's a race in each of them. So if we think about it from that standpoint, just geographic area, I don't think it's that weird. Now, I'm thrilled and a lot of the punditry is excited about Las Vegas for a lot of different reasons. But I was thrilled to hear one of the pundits go, you know, they tried Las Vegas in the past, but they did it in the Caesars parking lot and it was Mm bad. Um... And I'm glad that they're trying to do something better. Um, I love the fact that they're going to go down the strip. I think a visually, it's going to be stunning. If nothing else, it will be a visually stunning race right up there with Singapore. Hands down. And from that standpoint, I'm excited for them. I think they picked a bad weekend. So it's the, the Thanksgiving weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, again, they did that because you do it too much earlier, it's... Stupid hotter hot. than hell in, in, in Vegas. But it's um, a dry heat. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's still hotter than hell in Vegas. Um, not only that, but the race is going to be held at 10 p.m. on Saturday night, not Sunday. And that's specifically to have Grand Prix Sunday in the U.K. And, in and the Europe. I mean, that that is a concession to Europe. And I do think in terms of weather... It's probably a better option for Formula One to have it at 10 o'clock at night. It allows things to cool down. My understanding also is the reason why it is because Formula One has been trying to get into Vegas for something like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, ever since the disaster at Caesars, they've been trying to get back. Um, by the way, th- this track is significantly larger than the Caesars parking lot track. But the big thing that Formula One wanted was they wanted the race on the strip. Mm-hmm. And the big holdup was convincing the casinos to let them shut down the strip to hold the race. And it sounds like it was Netflix that convinced the casinos that they're going to get the traffic if they close the strip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're going to. 
I mean, full stop. It's going to be a huge weekend in Vegas. Great money. Good for Vegas. I get it. Um, I'll be here with my feet up in my house uh, watching. Well, I mean, let's be honest. We know the ticket prices are high in Austin. We know they're they're significantly higher for Miami. For Las Vegas, uh, you know... uh, I'm sorry again to all our friends out in Vegas, but I, I think that a weekend ticket cost is going to be the same as your house. It's it's going to be insane. Well, I mean, think about all the people that are going to like go away that weekend and Airbnb their houses. Yeah, well, that, that'll be the thing of Airbnb and make it up that way, but... Because you know every hotel uh, every hotel room on the Strip is going to be booked. Every hotel room on the Strip is going to be booked. Every hotel room on the Strip... On the strip that has view of the strip is going to be insane. It, it, it'll be the cost of a small island. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but. But you're right. Visually, it will be in the top two or three races a year. Will, will the race produce, will it produce great racing? I have no idea. Absolutely no idea from that layout. It's all on surface streets. It, it'll be flat because it's not just exclusively on the strip, but the main straight will be down the strip. So that'll be cool. Um, it's going to run past Bellagio. It'll run past the wind in the Venetian. So, I mean, I think that the addition of the stoplights will be really interesting for the uh, Formula One race. Right. You think they'll turn this off? And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. <laughs>